Let's take our Bibles this morning as we continue in worship and turn to the eighth chapter of Romans, Romans chapter eight. Uh, I want to take just a second because it's dangerous to look back too much, but just I want to go back a couple of weeks. I want to, Teresa and I were in England for two weeks and over there with our son and his family, KJ Pugh and Lynn and James and Ella, and they're doing great. We had a wonderful time there in Borough Bridge at Grace Church, worshiped there two Sundays in a row. One Sunday was, as I mentioned last week, the highest attendance they've ever had. So there's some, there's some encouraging things that are going on in the church. But also, you know, it's, it's a beautiful country, but it's a hard work. It's a hard work. The people of England, there, there's a lot of, of resistance there, a coldness to the gospel. So uh, please continue to pray for KJ and Lynn and their ministry there. And then a week ago Saturday was Serve Alberta. Serve Alberta. We got back on Wednesday night, still jet lag, but Saturday we were there. And uh, I, I just want you to know, I, I am so excited and so proud of, and, and uh, Pastor Colby organized and implemented that whole thing. And when you look at that many projects going on around our area, a lot of time and preparation went into that. Colby, thank you for organizing all that. And I know our team was the best team, by the way, but we had so much fun. We cut yards and cut down bushes, and we, we had a great time, but Serve Alberta was a great day. And then last Sunday, Compassion Sunday, we still have uh, a number of, of, of children out there who are waiting to be adopted, and we didn't have a lot of them picked up last Sunday, but today's the day, okay? If you've been thinking about it and praying about it, you do that today, Compassion Sunday. Okay, enough back. Let's look forward. This Saturday, Saturday night, Road to Resurrection. Make sure you'll see all the details there in the bulletin. Make sure you sign up and are part of that. Uh, next Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, Pastor Colby will be preaching both messages. Remember, there's no Sunday school. We have services at 9 and 11. And bring your friends and family and neighbors uh, again, the, use those cards and make sure we're passing them out. Uh, so no Sunday school next Sunday, but Easter Sunday next Sunday. But hey, here's the good news for me. I get to preach the Easter message today, okay? This is from Romans chapter 8, a message of resurrection hope. Go, go ahead and turn there if you haven't already. But if you'll notice as we work through our passage today, the Apostle Paul uses the word hope five times. In hope, in hope. He's talking about hope. As I was singing, I just the verse came there in Romans chapter 15 that I don't have an outline, but let me just, if you got your Bible, turn over to 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Abound in hope. That's what Paul is offering us this morning in Romans 8 is hope, hope, a future hope, a resurrection hope. And that's what we are eagerly waiting for. And let me tell you, just quite honestly, I need this message this morning. I need this message. We, we need hope, resurrection hope. We attended three funerals this past week. Many of you know here, Monday morning, 11 o'clock, we had a funeral service for Carl Logan. Carl was a longtime member at Open Door Baptist Church, came over, loved Alberta Baptist Church, taught Sunday school for a while, was a deacon. Carl was much more than a church member. Carl was a close friend. And he and his family are very dear to me and my family. And I needed to be reminded of resurrection hope. Tuesday, Teresa and I drove to Selma. 
Down there, my cousin, my first cousin, Carol, her husband died of cancer uh, in his late 60s, Harry Bolin. We attended his funeral at, at Selma First Baptist and then drove to Jackson for his burial. I needed to be reminded today of resurrection hope. Harry Bolin was a good man. He, he, he came to really love the Lord Jesus late in his life. But down in Clark County, the Bolins are kind of popular. My dad used to say that the Bolins and Kudzu were going to take over Clark County. They're everywhere. But it, it was a time of rejoicing at a funeral. As Pastor Kobe says many times, we can weep and we can rejoice at the same time. Why? Because of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we stayed there in Jackson on Wednesday for another funeral. I preached the funeral of a close friend named Dwight Goolsby. Now, Dwight uh, was a special man in my life. He was about 12 or 13 years older than me. When I moved to Jackson, I was 29. Believe it, I, I used to be 29. We played softball, basketball on Sunday nights after church at Dwight's house, and he was always right in the middle of everything going on. So again, not just a, a close friend, not just a church member, but a close friend. But Dwight, if you've heard me preach very often, you've heard me quote Dwight. Because I'd always say, Dwight's the one who said, God doesn't always run his train on my track. You remember that? Dwight was so funny. He'd call me, just check. We've been gone 22 years. But he'd call me. I think he called me every time he got a good story. The other day, he called me, not just a few weeks ago. And he always talked about how poor they were. Dwight said, we were so poor, we didn't always have food. So mother would just read the recipes to us. But here's the punchline. He said, my brother was hard of hearing, so he never got full. <laughs> Dwight said, we were so poor that on Sunday nights, we had to eat cornbread and milk as our meal. But he said, we had to eat it with a fork so we could all use the same glass of milk. <laughs> That's poor. But that, that was Dwight. You know, because of Christ, we can rejoice at a funeral. Because of Christ, we have hope. This is the wonderful spring of the year. This is the resurrection season. And we should be reminded of hope. And that's what Paul does this morning. He reminds us of hope. Heaven is more special to us today as our loved ones have gone ahead because we're, we're left behind, but we can eagerly wait. And that's the title of the message. We can eagerly wait for the promise of heaven and specifically, as we'll see this morning, the redemption of of our bodies. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. Thank you for your word today. God, we thank you for the hope that we can see and Lord in the scripture and to know that you are God and you are the one who's true to your word. And Father, we thank you for the, uh, just the hope that we have in those who've gone on before us, Father. We will see them again because Christ is the resurrection and the life. Lord, speak to our hearts this morning, we pray through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We're eagerly waiting. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse, let me just begin in verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. We are, right now, children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may, we may also be glorified with him. Paul says in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
Let me tell you, you know, the Bible teaches salvation in three tenths, and Paul mentions two of them there. Number one, he says, we have been saved. We are saved. We have been saved through Christ. We have been, the Bible says, justified by faith. Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. So we have been saved. We saw that in Romans 5. In another sense, very real sense, we are being saved. We saw that in Romans 6 and 7, that sin shall no longer be master over us, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're, we're struggling with sin. We live in a sinful world, but we are being sanctified. Justification, sanctification. Sanctification is that process of whereby we are being saved. We are being conformed into the image of his son. We're being transformed by glory to glory into his image. So that is our sanctification. But now Paul talks about what I call the good part. What's going to happen? Our glorification. Our glorification. When our bodies will be redeemed. So we have been saved, justification, we're being saved, sanctification, and we will receive a new body, a redeemed body one day as a part of our salvation, the climax, that is our glorification. And this is the glory that Paul talks about in verse 18. He he said that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So as children... As children of God, we've already seen that in verse 14. We've seen that in verse 16, that we have been adopted by God. As children, we are eagerly waiting for future revelation. And what is that revelation? It is our glory. That one day we will have glorified bodies. One day we will be like Christ. And so we are eagerly waiting for that day, for the culmination, the fulfillment of our our salvation. How does this come to us? It comes because we are children of God. It doesn't happen to somebody that's not God's children, but it does happen. It's a promise for God's children. God's children, by adoption, we're eagerly waiting for this future revelation. Now, Paul wants us to set our hearts on this future revelation. Why? Because right now, Paul says, life is tough. He says, for I consider the sufferings, these present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with our future glory. Now don't raise your hand, but how many of you know what suffering's about? Hey, we all do, don't we? We all do. In this world, Jesus said, you shall have persecution, but be of good cheer. Why? I've overcome the world. Jesus said, the world hated me, the world's going to hate you. Just this morning in Sunday school, someone told me that there were 38 Christians who were killed in Egypt. That's a common occurrence all around the world. Why? Because the world hates God. The world hates Christians. They're suffering, as we'll talk more about in just a minute, through disease, disaster, decay. But we we live in a world, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Peter says, why do you respond as if some strange thing were happened to you when you're suffering? We, We can expect that. We can expect that. So as children of God, we we we're anxiously, eagerly looking forward to our hope, 
to the glory that's to be revealed to us. Now, how do we know that hope is certain? Well, God does two things, two, two proofs for us. Number one, the, the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. The Spirit himself, verse 16, testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. What's the importance of the Holy Spirit in our life? Many, many reasons. But in our, for our context today, the Holy Spirit is given to us as a pledge or a down payment of more to come. Now, if you've ever bought a house, you had to put out some earnest money. And most big deals, you've got to put down a pledge, a pledge that there's more money to come. And that's what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit, that if you have the Holy Spirit, or the question is, if you are a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit, and this is God's promise that you have a future glory. He promises. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. We've got this on the screen. In him, Paul says, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a what? Say it. A pledge, a pledge of your inheritance. This is a promise that there's more to come. You've been sealed in him with the Holy Spirit. I love that. It's like God says, that one's mine, that one's mine, that one's mine, that one's mine. We've been sealed in Christ by the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. So Paul says the Holy Spirit's a pledge or down payment for a promise of a future glory. Now look down at verse 23. We're going to skip down here because this applies to the Holy Spirit's role. Look at verse 23. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit. Now, this is another picture that Paul uses, another uh, picture that he uses of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is a first fruit. Now, this takes us back to the Old Testament. One of the offerings that God required of his people was an offering of first fruits. This would be you go out to your, your barley field or your wheat field and you would gather in, before you harvested anything else, you would gather in the first of the harvest and you would take it to God and you would give it to the priest to offer it up as an offering to God. What's the picture here? The picture is God deserves, demands the very best. We get what's left to come. We get what's going to come. God gets the first and we get the rest. It's kind of what I say about Teresa. When you got the best, forget the rest. But God, God gets, the, gets the best and we get the rest, okay? We, but the first fruit of our offering is the promise of more to come, more to come. The first fruit was a promise of a full harvest to come. You gave the first in anticipation of much more to come. So the Holy Spirit, is the promise of much more to come. There's a second proof of our uh, sonship or our adoption, and that is the very fact that we do suffer. I mentioned that, and uh, look at verse 17. If children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. The two proofs, the Holy Spirit and the suffering that we encounter in this world. Those are the proofs to us that we have been adopted by God, that we are in the family of God. You say, suffering? Yeah. So it changes my mindset when it comes to suffering. 
That's why Paul said in Romans 5, he says, we exult in our tribulations. What? We can rejoice when we suffer? No, we can't rejoice because we suffer. We rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because we're identified with our heavenly father. It gives us the proof that we are a child of God. And Paul says, we exult in our tribulation, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. (laughs) There's that word again in it, hope. And this hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. So we're the children of God. We know that because we've received the spirit of God, that we suffer for the cause of Christ and we are entitled. We're promised now, not entitled by our word, but we are promised an inheritance, a future glory, the revelation of a future glory. So what's the point? Very simply, our future glory in Christ surpasses any present suffering we may encounter today. Are you suffering today? Do you know what pain's like? We all do, one form or fashion. Our future glory, our future glory surpasses any present suffering we may encounter. I like what Tim Keller says. He says, all our best days lie ahead of us. And one day, all our painful days will lie behind us. All of our best days lie ahead. So we've got to go on. Number two, as children, we're looking for revelation. As Number two, all creation is eagerly waiting for future renewal. This, this is good. This is good. Look at verse 19. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly. There's that word again, two words. Waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Now, let me stop. When was creation subjected to futility? In the garden. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Not willingly, but as a part of the curse. The curse. All creation was put under the curse of sin. Uh, Where was I? Okay. In hope, verse 20, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free, will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. When we're redeemed, creation will rejoice because creation will be set free. For we know, verse 22, that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. All creation is eagerly waiting for future renewal. Now, when Paul speaks of creation here, he's talking about created things, everything, animal life, uh, the plant life, oceans, the whole creation groans, Paul says, suffering the slavery of futility, slavery of corruption. You know, let me tell you, there's something wrong with creation as we see it today. And you say, well, Brother Keith, really? Yeah. We look at beautiful sunsets. We look at powerful oceans and mountain ranges that are beautiful. And truly, as the psalmist said, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. We can see God's glory in creation. But let me tell you, creation itself still suffers from the curse of sin. Let me remind you now, we know that the curse of sin has been broken through Christ, okay? But yet the last remnants of the curse are yet to be removed. When Christ died, he broke the curse of sin, but yet the remnants of that curse still remain today and it impacts us and it impacts creation. 
Where does the curse begin? It goes all the way back to the garden. Genesis 3, 17. As a part of Adam and Eve's sin, remember God said, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you. That's a part of the curse of sin. See, there were no thorns or thistles in the garden before sin. The world was a paradise. The world itself, creation was perfect. Do I have to remind you today that this world is not a perfect place? I was doing this, putting all this together Thursday. And so I just went on usatoday.com, looked at their website. Let me just read a couple of headlines from USA Today this week. Comedian Don Rickles dead at age 90. Deadly floods and mudslides kill dozens in Peru. African wildlife groups launch effort to save elephant and rhino orphans. I like these last two. Headlines, why you might be swarmed by mosquitoes and ticks this summer. And the last one, millennials are flocking to Botox. (laughs) Why? Why do we have mudslides? Why do we have disease? Why do we have death? It's the curse of sin on all of creation. All of creation. As a result of the curse, the world and everything in it is passing away. We see death, disease, disaster, and decay all around us. Now, you know, if you know me well, I'm an optimistic. I, you know, I don't like to be negative. I, I'm like the guy that jumped off the Empire State Building. We passed the 40th floor. He said, so far, so good. You know, I like to look at the bright side of things. But if we are to be realists, we're to look at what the world, what's happening around us. The world is being destroyed. See, there was no cancer or heart disease in the garden. This week, my three friends, two with cancer, one with heart disease, all because of the curse of sin, the curse of sin. So this reminds us that man's sin is responsible for natural diseases. Man's sin is responsible for natural diseases. In the garden, there were no hurricanes or tornadoes. Now, we know something about tornadoes, don't we? We know something about natural disasters. This reminds us that man's sin is responsible for natural disasters. There was no corruption or decay of any kind before the curse of sin. Today, Paul says that the creation suffers and groans under the slavery of Corruption. What is he talking about? Corruption. That's the decaying process of all nature. Man's sin is responsible for natural decay. Our world is not moving forward towards some type of utopia. Our world is decaying all around us. And we see the evidence of that every day. The reason is being corrupted because of sin. That's why all creation is eagerly waiting for a future renewal, a future renewal, a day when we're, we will be redeemed and with it creation. But, but notice as Paul describes this process, look at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans. We see that earthquakes, floods, the pains of death and disease and disaster and suffers the pains of what? Suffers the pains of what? 
childbirth together till now. That's an interesting term. I thank God that childbirth is something I've never had to experience. (laughs) I've seen Teresa deliver three, been right there. But I'm so thankful. I've always said if I was a woman, the day I got pregnant, put me to sleep and wake me up nine months later when it's all over. I I can relate. E.V. Hill, the great black preacher, said his wife said the first thing she's going to do when she gets to heaven is whoop Eve. (laughs) Childbirth. Now, that's painful. You ladies know what I'm talking about who've had children. It's painful. But notice Paul uses this picture of childbirth because here's the deal. Childbirth is a pain that leads to life. Well, I remember Teresa, you know, put that baby in her lap. Everything's good. Everything's good. It's a joy. Uh, It's, you know, like Jesus endured the suffering of the cross for the joy set before him. Paul says that the the whole creation groans under the the suffering of corruption. But it says as a mother in childbirth, there's going to be a day of renewal. There's going to be a day of rejoicing. It leads to life. When Christ returns and his glory is revealed, the world will no longer suffer under the slavery of corruption. Verse 21, creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What does that mean? It means that creation will be renewed. That's what Revelation 21.1 tells us. John said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. 2 Peter 3.13, according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And we don't have time to go into all the details this morning about what's going to be there. Isaiah 11, I like that. 11.6 says, and the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the young goat. Creation will be renewed. But right now, creation suffers the corruption of sin, it labors, it groans under the curse. It's interesting that the last word of the last book of the Old Testament is curse. It's curse. The last word of the last book is curse, but that curse is broken through the Lord Jesus Christ. Creation will no longer suffer the curse of sin. Creation groans as a result of the curse. Creation is eagerly waiting for the last remnants of the curse to be removed. That's the good news. Let me quickly tell you the really good news. Number three, verse 23. And not only this, but also we ourselves, not only creation, but we ourselves, believers, having the first fruits of the Spirit, which we talked about, that's the promise that there's more to come. Even we ourselves grown within ourselves waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons. Now, he's already told us that we're adopted, but now this is the fulfillment, the completion of this adoption. As sons, the redemption of our body. This is the last part of the adoption process. Our bodies are going to be redeemed. We are going to become, the Bible says, we'll see in just a minute, like Christ. Our body, we will receive a redeemed body, a glorified body. Our adoption is confirmed through our suffering. We suffer because we're part of Christ. 
Our adoption ensures our inheritance, which is confirmed through the Holy Spirit. He's given to us as a pledge or first fruit of our inheritance. He is the promise given to us that there's more to come. But our adoption is completed by the redemption of our bodies, our bodies. We will receive glorified bodies one day. And again, we can go very, very deep into this, but to, for many, the first question is, well, what about those who've already died? Bodies of dead Christians will be raised. <laughs> I had a friend of mine in Sylacauga, and he, when he'd see me, he wasn't a member of our church, but he heard me do so many funerals in Sylacauga. And I'd see him on the street, and he said, to be absent from the bodies, to be at home with the Lord. To be absent from the bodies, to be home with the Lord. I mean, that's what I say at every funeral, because it's true. But we know to be absent from the body, this body, is to be at home with the Lord. But what about this body? You remember the tombstone of Reverend Pease? The body of Reverend Pease lies beneath this sod, but Pease ain't here, it's just the pod. Pease shelled out to be with God. And that's, that's what happens when we die. But the pod stays here. But what about the pod? Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who've fallen asleep, those who've died in Christ. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we always be with the Lord. So the bodies of those who have died in Christ will be resurrected first to receive our glorified bodies. Secondly, the bodies of living Christians will be changed. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. I'm glad we got an amen. Good. Hallelujah. Amen. We will be changed when Christ returns on that day. What are we going to be like? 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. Because we will see him just as he is. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that we see in a mirror dimly now. Now we see face to face. When, when, we, when we're in the presence of the Lord. Then we will see face to face. We will see him as he is. So the best we can determine is our body will be something like the glorified body that Christ had here on earth after the resurrection. He was recognizable. He ate and drank. But he did some pretty cool things like walk through a wall into the room with his disciples. It'll be a glorified body. It'll be different from what we have here. This old body will be fully redeemed. Now, how many of you are eagerly waiting for that day? The more birthdays I have, the more precious that day becomes. We can all relate. Paul says, we ourselves groan within ourselves. Last Saturday, really, I go back to that again, serve Alberta. I ended up cutting five yards that day, pulling weeds, cutting down bushes. I was in bed by 7.30. <laughs> I was worn out. I was aching. This old body's getting slower. This knee, I can't run anymore. It kills me. Arthritis. This body is wearing out. Can I get an amen? You know what that's like. We groan in this body. We groan within ourselves. 
Praise God. We're looking for a new body. Titus 2.13 says, We're looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. We're looking forward. Look at 24 and 25 and we'll be done. For in hope we've been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. You know, there's no hope now for Carl Logan. There's no hope for Harry Bolin. There's no hope for Dwight Goosby. Why? Because they're seeing. Hope that is seen is not hope. They are seeing Jesus face to face. There's no hope for them. There's no faith required by them. Faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these, love, love endures. But faith and hope are going to be gone one day. Hope that is seen is not hope. For he who hopes, for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we eagerly wait for it. Now, let me just say this. The Bible speaks of hope. It's not like the way we talk about hope. I hope they come to see me. I hope I make an A on that test. I hope I get a better job. No, there's always an element of chance or a chance that it might not happen. We don't know for certain. But biblical hope is a dynamic certainty. The hope that the Bible talks about is a confident expectation. Paul says we eagerly wait, but we do it with perseverance. What does this mean? It means we patiently endure the pain and suffering of this life, knowing that our Father will give His children the wonderful inheritance of glory because He promised. Promised. Real quick, I did a funeral one time. The guy was 66. His dad was 89. He was a forester, worked in the woods, 89-year-old guy. I said, man, I bet you and your dad spent a lot of time hunting and fishing. No. I said, Brother Keith, when I was a little boy, I'd get my fishing stuff together, and I'd sit there on the front porch. My dad said he's going to come get me. And I'd sit there with my fishing rod, and I was ready to go at 6 o'clock. And said about 10, 30, 11 o'clock, my mom would come out and say, Herman, your dad's not coming. Said Saturday after Saturday, I sat on that front porch waiting for my dad to take me fishing. He never came. Church, let me tell you, we don't have a father like that. We have a heavenly father who keeps our promises. It's interesting, the Greek word for hope is elpis. Let me tell you, elpis is alive and well. I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. (laughs) Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Father, thank you for your promises. Thank you, Lord, for who we are. Lord, I'm just blown away this morning to see your grace in my life. And each of us today who are Christians.